in a day where anyone can be famous off a tweet, uh, I think it's good for us to know how to actually have staying power in the industry. So can we all give a warm welcome to Claire Mawisa. Can you hear me? Yes, great. Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm a bit flustered because initially I thought I was speaking at two, and now I was told, no, you're speaking now, you're speaking now. Um, so uh, forgive me for just being like a bit out of breath. Really excited to be at Radio Days. I've known about this for forever, and I've never been able to come through. So hopefully we're going to uh, have a discussion. I always tell people in my workshops, in my talks, you get out of it as much as you participate. So hopefully you've got some incredible questions for me afterwards. I'm not going to be speaking about my life, because that would feel like masturbation. You know? Only good for one person, and you guys are sitting there thinking, yeah, okay, clear. So um, what I will do is I'll talk about my journey um, through radio and how I got to be here, and then I'm going to give some examples of people in the industry that I think have done it really well, and I'm not going to throw shade at anyone, but I will, and what we'll do is that we'll find out how they did not achieve their saying power or how they could have done better at it, right? Um, and just certain things that I've learned in my radio career that I realized that some people might not be aware of, um, and if they just use those tools, they themselves would have amazing longevity. So I haven't, because everything... Ah! Okay. So one of the things about achieving longevity just in the broadcast media space is that radio itself as a platform is already quite powerful. Unlike other um, broadcast media, um, which are struggling to evolve and stay relevant and continue to make an impact. Radio, in its evolution, where we are right now, just as a medium, is something where you can establish yourself. So when people speak about longevity, I think it's kind of default, because on radio you can have it forever. Just look at newspapers and magazines and what they're going through and how they're adapting and how they're dying. Whereas with radio, we're evolving into spaces like podcasting and you know, scheduling things on demand, hopefully in the future, um, digital, um, online. So radio itself already is quite amazing and powerful. Um, that's me trying to do a voice. Um, my radio career started in 1999 when I joined a little radio station called YFM, and I joined the best breakfast show there was, and it was called Live and Dangerous with Fat Joe. And uh, I had gone to Varsity with Fat Joe in UCT, and he called me up, I had just moved to Johannesburg, and um, he said to me, listen, Claire, I've got a radio show, do you want to be my sidekick? Will you be my entertainment reporter? And I was like, okay, cool, I had never known anything about radio before then. And I joined Fat Joe as his entertainment producer, but what people don't know is that Joe taught me so much um, in that space. I was only with Joe for six months, um, and I realized that what was happening in that space was I was being known as his sidekick, and I thought, I wanted to be more than just Fat Joe's sidekick. I wanted people to know me independently, away from Joe. Um, and, you know, it, it's a legacy of radio that the cute girl is always just the one who chips in the background, especially in zoo radio, which I can't stand, right? And I thought to myself, I was annoyed by that in 1999, so I said to Joe, we have to break up, and so I left Joe. Um, I then went to Metro in 2000, and I joined Metro FM as a lifestyle reporter. So they'd send me to incredible events, and I'd be reporting live all over. Also, sponsorship and promotions department would use me if they had competitions out and about in the country, and they'd send me out, and I would cross over and do incredible uh, creative executions of our sponsorship and promotion. And I was with um, Metro FM with the intention to eventually get my own show. 
um, because that was the ultimate goal. I think many people get into radio because they fall in love with the personalities and they think, I want to do something like that because they want to be part of that magic. And I was with Metro FM for five, almost six years, and every year when my contract was renewed, they would renew it but not give me a show and I would work hard. Um, the skills that I learned at Metro were phenomenal because I would go out there and I would record the content, come back, edit the, the content. Um, I would then execute it. If there was an OB, I'd be running the desk. If there was anything that anyone wanted, I could fit into that space on air. I remember there was like a chaotic moment. I even read news once at Metro. It's a sh so bad. Um, and. Um, I remember that my final day at Metro FM was when the then station manager, Maton and Jonah, said to me, Claire, we'd really like to continue and renew your contract. And I was like, I was hoping for a show, right? It had been like freaking six years. Um, and so, she said, so I'm like, do I get a show? And she was like, no, you don't get a show, but you just like helping everyone else. You're so great. And <laughs> I was like, wow. Um, I was a bit disillusioned, so I'm like, let me just think about it. And I took the contract and I went home, and I was a bit disillusioned. Um, and I thought a lot about what my next step in radio would be. Um, and I thought about it, I came back the next day and I met with my ton and I was like, I returned the contract unsigned. And I said, thank you so much, but I, 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 can't, I can't take it. And what I needed to accept in my own space and in my own career development was maybe I really wasn't as good as on air as I thought I was which is a blow to your ego. It was painful, it was humiliating, I was embarrassed because I had had a dream for so long and I really thought I was on the track to achieving that dream. And then I had to call it for myself because we're surrounded by people that are going to say yes to you all the time, right? So I went home in tears that day thinking that my journey with radio was over and I was devastated. I truly was devastated. Um, it was that afternoon while I was on my kitchen floor crying, rocking myself back and forth, thinking, what now? Because, like, I'm a single mother, guys. I, had no, I didn't know where my next paycheck was going to come from. I got a phone call from super producer Kuma Kave, who had just joined Radio 2000, a friend of mine who had been producing the breakfast show on Metro. And he was like, hi, Claire, listen, I hear you don't have a gig anymore. Are you interested in being a producer? And I was like, producers are boring. Who wants to be a producer? And um, that was my initial reaction. And then I thought to myself, well, I don't have a paycheck, so yes, I'll take anything right now. And that's when I met with Keiji Moegetsi, and she had just joined 2000. Uh, 2000 was reviving itself at that point, and they were rebranding, and it was just before 2010, and they were going to be the 2010 station. And I met with Keiji, and um, she's a stalwart in radio, right? Um, and she... I had a very serious meeting with me, and she said to me, I don't mess around. You have to be hot, because I want the show to be hot. And that's when I became a content producer. Um, I then realized that sometimes to achieve your own longevity, you need to find the right space for you in radio. 
and you need to find your position in radio if you want to achieve that longevity. Maybe the space that you're in is not the place where you need to be, maybe that dream is not for you, but when I moved and I became a producer, that is when my ultimate success in radio happened. That's when my love for radio deepened and was underpinned. And I realized that sometimes people are in radio in the wrong space. Sometimes you have to step to the side to then achieve your greater success. Sometimes you trying to push in a certain avenue is not going to work. So I found my position. I became one of the best content producers, I know. <laughs> and I loved it. And from then on, I gave up my on-air career because I realized that I wasn't rocking there. I wasn't rocking there, and nobody was going to tell me. And so um, I then went on to produce for um, KG for that two years at 2000. I moved to Radioheads, and at Radioheads, some of you might know, they produce content. We were using syndicated radio. So we would produce content in Johannesburg and syndicated to Hart in Cape Town, Algoa in the uh, Eastern Cape, OFM, Central South Africa, and Kai FM here in Gauteng. And I was producing content for all of those stations at the same time, and it was phenomenal. Um, and I left, after I re left Radioheads, I then had a huge, amazing love affair with Kai FM, and I moved to Kai FM as a producer. I then became an executive producer. I then became um, part of the programming team. I was heading up programming, and uh, Greg Maloka, the MD of Kai FM, was like, Claire, do you want to be the head of content on black African commercial radio station in Gauteng? And um, I was like, no, I'm not ready to do that. I need somebody who's going to walk into the room, and when he says something, dust settles. Um, because I was at that point managing and trying to direct a team of stalwarts like Bob Mabena and Tibos Mukwili, and they had been in radio forever. And I just got there, and they were like, ah, oh, she's so cute. Just look at her. <laughs> And so that's when Neil Johnson joined. We stole him from Jacaranda, and he was happy to leave. <laughs> and uh, Neil still occupies that space. And so that is my journey through radio. Um, and I realized that the journey in radio could only have lasted this long because I found my position. I knew what my role was, and I got really good at that space. I stopped chasing a dream that wasn't for me. Um, it's also like combined with this, is that sometimes you need to reassess what your strengths are in the radio space. Um, I've, I've learned that understanding content, consuming content, thinking of creative ways to execute that content, thinking of creative ways for clients to spend on the station, those are the things that I'm really, really excited about, actually. I really wasn't that excited and as enthused about switching on the mic and doing a live read and doing interviews because that would freak me out. But to be able to be part of the team that from concept, um, brought something to fruition. That was what I knew was my strength. I loved doing it. I became better at it. So I think it's a bit of an introspection that you need to do for yourself on what are your strengths, identify them. Other people won't see them, but you will see them in yourself and you'll know what to do next. 24-hour um, pr prime time. One of the traps that we have in radio, just in general, um, sales does it all the time. The sales team, uh, is anyone in sales here? Yeah, oh, just one, sorry. Um, the problem that the sales teams usually have and what the station in generally ends up adopting an attitude towards, also program managers are guilty of doing, is thinking that there are just two prime time spaces that drive 
in the morning, breakfast, and then in the afternoon, right? And then we pour all of our resources in just those two channels, right? And then what happens as on-air um, content producers or presenters is that we also think that, and so we are under the mistake, we, we are misled by thinking that is what I should be gunning for to be ultimately successful in radio. That's a mistake. We need to stop thinking that way because every minute on radio is prime time radio, right? It's not just six hours of the day, six to nine in the morning, then three to six in the afternoon, and then South Africa sleeps in between and switches off their radio and doesn't care. Um, just a, a very, very important like, story, just to illustrate the fact that 24 hours is important, is how many of you know Bumbo Johnson? Bumbo Johnson, yes. So Bumbo Johnson was at Metro FM for a very long time, uh, many years ago, and he used to do the midnight to three slots. Do you guys remember that? He used to do midnight to three. Bumbo Johnson was excellent between midnight to three. Then he'd hand over to Eddie Zondi, who was between three and six. And Eddie Zondi, the, the country woke up with Eddie Zondi. Zondi. He was like incredible. And he would pick up listeners, right? And then the breakfast show would start on a high because Eddie was cooking that audience. He was rocking it. Um, and while Eddie Bumbo Johnson was doing Midnight to Three, he would always complain to the program manager that he wanted a better slot, he wanted a better slot. He was frustrated because Midnight to Three is really like the armpit of radio, like nobody wants to do it, right? Um, I don't know why they call it graveyard, like not even corpses are listening. <laughs> and so Bumbo Johnson complained and complained, eventually he left and he went to another radio station, I don't even know what, what radio station he went to, but he got a different time slot at another radio station and it was great. He was happy. No, incorrect. He was not that happy. Numbers weren't so great. The variables change when you move to another time slot. The midnight to three slot in Metro started dying. Edizondi was picking up from a lower base because nobody was listening from midnight to three. Eventually, Bumbo Johnson needed to come back. Into, he wanted to come back to Joburg, and he, I think he joined, he's at 2,000 right now and he's in the morning. Bumbo Johnson is the best presenter between midnight and three. He's the best. He had in the country, nobody else was listening to any other radio station except for Bumbo Johnson. He was a king in that time slot. Maybe he didn't recognize it. Bumbo Johnson is great between three and six in the morning. Right? When you start gunning for something, I think sometimes we want what we don't have. And what he didn't realize was that nobody could top him at those time slots, no matter how much they tried, because he kicked ass. Bumbo Johnson is a great presenter, but he's not a great presenter at any other, at some, on some time slots, but he's incredible at others, right? So it's about having that attitude as presenters and as content creators that what space suits you and make that prime time for you, because not all of us will get breakfast, not all of us will get afternoon drive. And that doesn't mean that you are failing in radio. It's not the ultimate, actually. It's not the ultimate. I remember when Azania, Azania used to do graveyard on weekends on Metro FM. Leo Mane, who was the program manager at that time, he decided to move Azania to afternoon drive. Remember that? It was a dismal failure. Dismal. Dismal. <laughs> right? And Azania is a good radio presenter but she's not the afternoon drive at Metro FM presenter. So they put her in the wrong position, they sabotaged her in a weird way, right? 
even she at the beginning was a bit reluctant, like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, because I think maybe she knew in her gut that that was not her space. They put on the same station, they moved it to 9 to 12, and she flourished, and she was rocking. And she did, um, I think it was something, something bliss. Um, yes, and she, and she rocked that show. She's still doing afternoon radio on 702, and she's incredible in that space. But just, so, that's my tip. My tip is, look at radio differently, break down what you think is prime time, because every minute on radio is prime time. <laughs> the teddy bear. Uh, Glenzito. I fell in radio, I fell in love with radio like growing up, but even more so in the 90s, and I was listening to... Um, Radio Metro, uh, and I fell in love with um, Afternoon Drive when he was doing Afternoon Drive at Radio Metro. That's when it was still Radio Metro, and he was doing 3 to 6, 1992, Glenn Lewis. I would be chatting with my friends in my school uniform after school, and then I'd look at the time, and it would be quarter to three, and I'm like, yo, guys, I have to run, and I'd run home, and I'd get home just in time to switch on the radio to listen to this guy because he was incredible <laughs> this guy and so i rushed home to listen to glenn and glenn made me fall in love with radio i loved his liners i liked his imaging i liked his attitude he was a fool he was funny he loved music i loved it i felt like he was having such a good time on air i wanted to be part of that good time like, I'd be like, oh my God, this guy would be so cool to hang out with. He's hilarious. He's so stupid. Oh my God. Right? And he'd be sharp and witty and cool. And the one thing that Glenn has always known is that, and what Glenn has done really, really well, is that even though Metro FM then moved him to breakfast and then he left Metro FM, he tried to touch HD. Um, he's now back on 2000. The Glen Zito Superdrive. Glenn Lewis owns Afternoon Drive. If you've listened to his show, it's as magical as it was in 1992. It's as magical. And the reason why he has achieved such incredible longevity is because he, know who, he knows who he is. Glenn hasn't deviated from who he is, what he likes. He has fun on radio. He is he, he's doing it for himself, it feels like. He loves the listeners, the listeners love him. People call and they want to have a conversation with Glenn. Glenn has not tried to be anything other than who he is. He's not tried to be a political commentator, he has not tried to be more serious, he hasn't tried you know, to do anything other than himself and do it really, really well. He's one of the most transparent pre pre presenters on air. So if you're a producer that likes to keep the whole theater of the mind radio thing happening, then Glenn is not the one for you because on air he will say, is Robin ready for traffic? Oh, he's not ready. Okay, let me just talk about something else, right? And all presenters are just trying to keep it all smooth and slick and trying to hide the fact that there's chaos happening. They're trying to put fires out. Glenn Zito doesn't care, right? Um, and it's one of the reasons why people recognize him. He's familiar. He's that person that you know. Glenn would obviously say that. He's such a fool, right? So one of the things to keep your longevity is to know who you are and stay true to that. Don't try and imitate somebody else. One of the biggest mistakes that on-air presenters make is thinking that, wow, 
that girl is so great, I want to be just like her, let me do what she does. There's, Glenn Lewis broke the mold. He breaks rules. He's not good with his time checks. He really sometimes is sloppy with some... He's late with headlines. Like, do you know what I mean? He's playing his own music. He's a nightmare for program managers. But the listeners love him, and somehow, even though he's breaking all the rules, and you're thinking, ish, Glenn, did you really have to ask that question? Did you really have to do that? Listeners love the guy. And listeners will love you too if you are true to yourself. So this is like a testament to incredible radio. I think Glenn is lifting Radio 2000 up. I don't know if anyone's at 2000, but he's kicking ass. And I'm happy to be back. It's the only radio show that I make an appointment to listen to. I don't care about any other radio station right now. <laughs> Fat Joe. My journey in radio started with Fat Joe. And when he did ask me to join at YFM um, as a sidekick, Joe didn't put me on air for a month even though he asked me to come to work every single day. And I came to work every single day, and every single day, Joe gave me books like this thick to read. About radio, about programming, about sound engineering, about music scheduling, about everything about radio. 20 years later, like 85% of what I know about radio, this man showed, to told me. Today. 80% of what I know today in radio was instilled into me by this man. His work ethic is second to none. He's a creative genius. He's unapologetic. He puts the listener first. But unfortunately, people don't know that side of Joe because they know this Joe. <laughs> Even with his incredible work ethic and his creative genius and being shocking and you know, provocative on air, Joe maybe has not seen the success that he should have seen in this country because, not other than just being a program manager's nightmare, Joe pushes the boundary to a space where the listener gets uncomfortable. He doesn't listen to reason, even though he's an incredible radio practitioner. And that's why when he gets fired from all the stations, he's been fired from almost every radio station in this country. And, remember, and when, those, when he gets fired from those radio stations, it's Futek, Futek now, we're sharp, get sharp, and doors are banging and people are mad. But it's a sad breakup for a radio station to lose Joe. Because Joe, he knows the things. He's one of the smartest men in radio this country has, but because he refuses to be flexible, before he, because he refuses to compromise, um, unfortunately, certain levels of radio have been blocked, and he's self-sabotaged in many ways. It breaks my heart. The lesson to learn from the story is that it doesn't matter how talented you are if you are not about the craft, if you're not professional, right? Um, and if you're not good at it consistently. If you're not constantly good at what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you had a great show last week. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. You have to be good every day, all the time. Look, listen to the... Radio discipline needs to be there. You need to make sure that you prepare. Joe would spend 12 hours preparing for one feature on his show. One. We'd drive to Carlton Center, we'd be recording people, we have to edit all that sound, we need to add sound effects, and then it comes down to like a 15-second clip. But it's the hottest 15 seconds on that station the entire day. They keep on playing it in the promos. Right? So, 
Joe is one of those, the, the people, he frustrates me so much because he's my ultimate radio mentor, but he also frustrates me because I feel like um, his longevity and his space and his growth with certain radio stations um, hasn't been what it should have been, just because I feel like he hasn't um, towed the line when it was not necessary to actually break that boundary. Um, even though I listen to radio, unlike other people listen to radio, I think all program managers uh, do, I think most radio people in programming do, I listen to radio um, a lot, I consume it, I'm an avid radio consumer, I, I listen to so many stations all the time, and even though I listen to a lot of radio, presenter links still annoy the hell out of me. They annoy me. And the ones that are most annoying is when the presenter or the content producer are just talking about what they want to talk about. And they think it's hilarious. Have you heard them? <laughs> yeah. It's so bad. It's so bad. Um, and what happens is that what we do is that content producers will come up with a topic because they saw it on somebody's Twitter timeline, and then they think it's cool, right? And then they pitch it to the presenter, and the presenters are cool, and just together we decide, this is so cool, let's do this thing. And they talk about it, and they talk about it, and this is what happens. They want to talk about what they want to say. They forget what the listener might be interested in, what the listener wants to hear, and what, what, what serves the, the listener. And what happens is that people have long conversations, and they have big laughs, and they have long things that go on and on and on, and they are completely irrelevant to the listener. Completely. Like the listeners, like, I can't wait for this conversation to end because I really am about the music in the station. Right? And so what happens is that what we do is that we produce content that's insular or we become insular ourselves. And what I want to encourage people is to always ask yourself, are you relevant? It's your relevance to today and in your show today that makes people tune in you tomorrow. And it's building on today and tomorrow and the next day that people will want to listen to you for time immemorial. It's your relevance that keeps you going. It's your relevance to people feel like you get them, people feel like you are current, that you're not so self-absorbed talking about what you want to talk about. You're also talking about and acknowledging what I want to hear. And that people want to know how do you create longevity. Longevity is not created over a 20-year career. Longevity is created in every link. You're building on everything that you're doing right now in this moment. And, you know, it's the people who are relevant and who strive very hard to stay relevant and get out of themselves that eventually achieve that relevance. With the listener, and that builds over time. You gain credibility, you gain currency with the listener when you become relevant. Um, this is also a little bit for um, sales, but you're the only one in sales, so maybe spread it to the next sales seminar. Um, but it's also to other presenters. What happens is that when we work at a radio station, we end up just listening to our radio station. We listen to our breakfast show, and then our show, and then the shows after us, and then we listen to our promos, and then we listen to how we do competitions, and we hardly ever realize or hear what the, the train that is coming. 
So we become very insular as radio practitioners because we consume our own product so much. And it's great to consume your own product, and you should. And you should be aware of what's going on in the station because that's what you then you can throw forward and you can become relevant in your own station. But what happens is that you start producing and creating content in a bubble, and you become so insular. And you can't compare yourself. You don't know where you stand with other people. Who is your competition? Record that show. Who's on when you are on? Record that show. Listen to that show. What are they doing that's hot? Acknowledge it. Don't let it affect your feelings. Like acknowledge what they're doing that's hot. Listen to other radio stations. At least five or six or seven other radio stations in your region where people are getting strong signal because that's your competition. And if you are not aware and if you are completely oblivious to what they're doing, how do you expect to sharpen your craft and get better? Because you will produce your way into oblivion, like nobody's going to care. Because you just you're the only one who thinks that you are hot. You and your people at your station, right? You don't know all the cool things that other people are doing. You're not even listening to international podcasts. What are people doing overseas? If you're on mid-morning, you should be listening to what people in Australia and in the UK and in America are doing mid-morning. Their podcasts are available. Why are you not listening to what they're doing? Nothing new is under, under the sun, guys. You can then decide how do I bring a local context to what they're doing. How can I do it a bit better? and keep that edge. So don't be the person who's blissfully unaware. You're listening to your own stuff, but you can't hear the train that's coming because you will then obviously produce your way into nothingness. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I think the biggest thing that I've taken away from radio is that sometimes people always ask me about the longevity. How do you stay longevity? Clear, you've been doing this for a while, um, and I've given tips and I've tried to help people um, in their own radio career. What I've learned is that you have to do what you have to do today, and do that to the best of your ability right now. You have to elevate the experience for the listener, whatever that means to you. I used to tell my team all the time that great programming saves lives. That's I still go by that. Great programming. If you have incredible programming, you can change somebody's day, you can change how people think about something, you can affect somebody's life in a positive and incredible and an amazing way, right? If you're not thinking much bigger than just your three hours on, on air, because what listeners are wanting and what they are yearning for, they want somebody that they can learn something from, somebody who's going to make them feel better, somebody who's going to make them think, somebody who's going to provoke them in a way, but still be their friend. And if you're not doing that consistently, on a daily basis, your, your longevity, it's short-sighted. When I started with Joe in 1999, at no point did I ever think that one day I'd be here talking at radio days. At no point. But every day in your own space, when you know your space and what your strengths are and where you should be and fit into the radio um, environment, you need to kill it daily because it's one of those mediums that if you're not good today, people won't listen to you tomorrow. Thank you so much. Claire, thank you so much. That was, I mean, you rocked <laughs> that one too, just like everybody has been rocking. If anyone has any questions, we have about 10 minutes, so we have enough time for a few questions. Yes. Morning. Morning. Um, my question is with regards to consistency, which you spoke of and you made comparisons with um, Lynn Lewis, but also um, you spoke about relevance and keeping up with the times. And, um, you know, trends change all the time. 
uh, we, were, we all wanted to be slay queens, now we want to be woke. How do you keep up with the trends and still be a slay queen and be woke and then still be consistent to you so you can still play with other children? You so know? much pressure, right? right? Because like, we, must, we must Where do you through... strike the balance and still be consistent and relevant? You know, one of the things that, um, that always helped me and find my true north um, in every single radio station was understanding who my audience was or who my listener was. Right? And I felt like at certain times in my life, I was at the right place at the right time. When I was young, I was with YFM. So it, they, it, I was on purpose. I was on my purpose. At KFM, I was the target market. And we did so much research on who that person is, what they like, who they are. And so if you're preparing content in a space with a clear understanding on who you're speaking to, then you know... Is, you can always go back to that person. Does this person, is they, are they interested in this? Does this affect their lives in any way? It takes you out of yourself and it helps you think of other people. Wilson Bingosi. Legende. Does, yes, you're even doing sounds and stuff like that with his corny poems on a Sunday. Wilson Bingosi, he's got a picture of a woman in a red dress and he... He presents to that woman. He knows more radio than you and I together, but when he speaks, when he switches on his mic and he does his link, and that woman in that red list, that picture was once color, it's now sepia. You understand? <laughs> right? He speaks to that person because he knows exactly what she likes. He knows exactly who she is. He's got a visual representation of what's going on. And that's how he, he doesn't... He knows that she's not interested in certain things. He knows what she's interested in. And so I think what we make a mistake of is trying to be everything to everyone all the time. And we shouldn't. We shouldn't. And your radio station and your show and your time slot are actually pillars that you can live up to. They live outside of you. So what was really great at Kaya, what we used to do is that we had pillars that lived outside of it. So does it speak to the Afropolitan? Is it informative? Is it engaging? Can they contribute? Does it make their lives better? Is it black conscious, right? And so every day when we come up with topics, we, we put our topics against, does it reach all of these things? If it doesn't, then the topic dies, and then we go to the next thing. And so maybe what you need to do is figure out values or principles or interests or the people that you are speaking to, who are they and will this be relevant to them? Because then it takes, it, it takes the pressure off you to try to be the person who likes gom, who can vosho, who goes to the farmer's market, is a slay queen, going to Deb and July, and it's, you know what I mean? Like, it's a lot, like, things are happening, so, yeah. I hope that answers the question. I wanted to know, what do you think your biggest mistake was or has been as a content producer? What did you do to get better at it? Um, one of, I think, I, uh, I've lear I learned it late in life as a content producer that the relationship between a content producer and a presenter is so crucial. It's so important. I used to think that just as a content producer, I could just come in, uh, research great topics, organize the interviews, and just assume that, and just like present it to the, to the presenter, and we talk about it, and it would be like a cerebral, intellectual conversation. Um, and then I realized that my mistake was that I was not building a relationship, an intimate relationship, a close relationship with my presenter away from the studio. Um, and once I started doing that, once I started hanging out with my presenter, going out for coffee, talking to them, chilling with them, finding out what they did on the weekend, laughing about our own jokes, like talking, like, what shows are you watching? I watch their shows now, right? 
Then when we get, there's a camaraderie, there's something that you're building so that you understand their sense of humor, you understand what activates them. Because what you need to do is that when you're producing content, you need to make sure that you speak to your presenter's ego. They must feel incredible after talking to you. They must be like, Claire's got me. They must trust you. So it's the trust and it's the fun element that if you haven't built that with your presenter, you won't get the best out of your presenter. Uh, you won't, you just won't. And they won't get that vibe on air. So you can tell most times when presenters are vibing with their producers, you can tell it's magic in the studio and the listener benefits from that. So I really made an effort to, we read to read the same books and to start building re um, relationships just outside of just the studio work environment with my presenters. On air, I've made like so many mistakes, I can't even, I can't even list. Okay, sorry. Hi. Yeah. Thanks very much. Great uh, insights. Um, just uh, speaking towards when starting out a new show, um, how do I find out what's most relevant? Do I wait for feedback? Do I wait for response? Because, I mean, it's more or less a six-week or eight-week period. Do we then realize, okay, cool, do I carry on? Do I stop? Yeah. Um, yeah, just generally. And then just uh, secondly, you mentioned that... Okay, cool. Not a problem. Mm. That was rough. Um, <laughs> So building, the show, building a new show is like one of the, the scariest things ever, I think, for any even program manager or presenter or producer. Building a new show is difficult. I always tell people, if you can't explain, if you're trying to think of things like features, if you can't explain the feature to somebody uh, like a five-year-old in like two sentences, then your feature is not really working that well already from the get-go because listeners are not as smart as we make them out to be. Um, <laughs> but also not to be beholden to what you create as a feature. Um, do you know what I mean? So sometimes what we do is that we create benchmarks in our show and we think it's great and the producer thinks it's great and then the feedback is not so great, but we stick to it. We don't, we don't want to be flexible with it. So your feedback should be much longer than six or eight weeks. You should wait at least like three months. Um, to get like positive feedback from your listeners. And you need to know what are those indicators for you. So your indicators might not be just on Twitter where everyone wants to actually see proof and evidence. Your feedback might be the calls that you get and the feedback that you get even from friends and family. And hash them out with other people. Don't just create in a silo. And that's one of the things that we sometimes do is that we come up with incredible ideas and topics in our own little silo and we don't test them out to our friends or other people in the, in the station or what they think would be cool, right? Um, and I'm going to go back a little bit to what I said earlier is that when you're building something, you need to figure out who your, who your listener is. Who is your listener? Are they interested in, um, you know, a sweep of four songs and you trying to identify the common thing? Are they interested in sending in um, voice notes or is that not what they're doing? Like, who are they and what are they using right now and what is cool? So you need to maybe investigate and do some of your own personal research on your age group and your demographic and who your station is trying to get you to speak to directly. Because everyone else other than that is great, but you're trying to really laser and focus in on your P1s and your P2s, the people who will choose you and maybe if you're the second choice, who are they, what rocks their boat, where do they hang out, what do they talk about, listen to what they have to say. Um, but your feedback should be much more than, you should give yourself a bit of a break. Your feedback, I think, should be more than eight, eight weeks, I think. Guys, it's hard to be the mic lady. P1 
people want to be nice to you, but you have to be a little cold sometimes. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Can we give one more round of applause to Claire? Thank you so much. And if you do have any other questions, please do tweet and use the hashtag RDA and tag uh, Claire as well. And when she has some time, she'll tweet you back with an answer. Definitely. Thank you. Guys. I promise. Thank you so much, guys. RDA 18.